Hello and welcome to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm talking to Marianne Cantwell. Marianne is the founder of a business called Free Range Humans, she's the author of a best-selling book called Be a Free Range Human and she's also somebody who I feel I have a lot in common with. So we both launched businesses around the time of the last recession, 2008-2009 and having both built up those businesses, spent a lot of time in one subject area, released books on that subject and so on. Uh, we're both at a point now where we're sort of taking sabbaticals, we're thinking about what next, we're uh, perhaps looking at different topics to explore and different businesses to explore and things like that. So I just thought it was a really interesting time for me to talk to Marianne as I get to the end of my sabbatical and as I start gearing up to re-enter the world of work. So next week is Think Productive's uh, big week of meetings. We have our Ninja Away Day, uh, which is basically where our entire UK team converge on Brighton for a day and a night and then we've got three summit calls so this is our teams from around the world from the US and Canada Western Europe Australia uh, and some of the UK team uh, just being on conference calls and talking about collaborations and talking about what's gone well and what needs to change and uh, where we see productivity and the work that we do going in the next few years so looking forward to really using those meetings as, for me, a chance to get reacquainted with my own business. I've been out of the game. I've not really been paying too much attention to what's been happening. I've not been on email. I've not had Slack. Uh, so all of that is um, stuff that becomes a bit of a mystery. And so I guess I'm, I'm waiting on next week with a slight nervous trepidation and a slight excitement uh, as to what I'm going to find when I uh, get back to the ranch. But I know the team's been doing some great work. So uh, actually the excitement is far outweighing the nervousness. Maybe the nervousness is just me. Uh, so gearing up for that next week and then over the next few weeks... Uh, I'm going to be doing quite a few family trips, taking my little boy to the WOMAD Festival, which is going to be a lot of fun. First time camping at the age of three and a half, four years old. That's going to be fun. Uh, and uh, then really gearing up to get back into a proper work from September onwards. So this was a really nicely timed conversation for me with somebody who I, th I think I just have a lot, lot in common with. We think in the same way about a lot of stuff uh, and someone who's been on very similar journeys uh, to me as well. So you'll hear at the end of this uh, entire interview, Marianne kind of sets me a little challenge, which I'll get back to in my kind of post-conversation, kind of post-amble thing at the end. Uh, but for now, let's get straight into it. So this is me and Marianne, and you join us with Marianne just explaining how we got to be in the room that we're in, in the middle of London, uh, on Monday of this week. Right, I'm here with Marianne Cantwell. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. So we are in a hotel near Tower Bridge. Uh, you could tell the story of exactly where we are now and how that came about. We're in a <laughs> private meeting room, which we did not book or, I believe, pay for, <laughs> because we showed up, asked for somewhere quiet, and the lovely man decided that we looked like people who need the quiet private room with floor-to-ceiling windows to do an interview <laughs> in, which is a lovely bit of serendipity to start yeah, our process from. Beautiful views from the bar over Tower Bridge and London looking stunning. And, and the Shard is looking great. I yeah. tried to think how much this, this would cost us if we had paid. I am so <laughs> glad we didn't. <laughs> it was either this or traffic. So, you know. But that's good. Um, and that's kind of, I, I guess, maybe a nice little microcosm introduction to you and 
how you work. And I suppose people who haven't come across you before, you're probably best known for free, free-range humans and the whole idea of being a free-range human. So we're kind of free-ranging a little bit right now, right? We absolutely um, are, yeah. We're keeping out of the, the battery farm of offices <laughs> and uh, keeping work interesting. So uh, let's just talk a little bit firstly about free-range humans. What does that mean and how you got into that being your world? Mm, so free, the idea of a free-range human was something I came up with, I think it was about eight years ago now. And it, the idea then was it was being free to work the way that really suits you. So be that uh, location-wise, so that could be working from you know your living room or a local office or a meeting room you seem to have gleaned for so no reason uh, in a hotel, or from beaches of Bali or whatever. So it was a bit of an, a concept around how do you want to work in the world. But it expanded since then to become a lot more about who do you want to be in your work. So where it's gone to in the last few years is there's lots of stuff out there on the sort of work that you want to do. So as a, if you're a business owner, you know, what, what area, what's your passion? What's the area you want to go in? And that's never really been my interest. I'm not really interested in what someone does. I'm interested in who they actually are. So what do they bring to whatever it is that they do. So for example, if you're an introvert and you're moving in a world that is full of really extroverted social people, what the more free-range approach would be would be to ask yourself, how do I bring some of that more thoughtful nature of mine to the picture and turn it into an advantage? Mm. And uh, I've sort of since moved on a bit from free-range humans, but that is a real theme in what we do, is asking you, what is the thing about yourself that is maybe you're tempted to hide away and how do we bring that out into the world? Because time and time again, it will turn out to be your biggest advantage in what you do. Which is probably quite a nice segue on to talking about liminality. Should we do yes. that? <laughs> uh, so you did a TED Talk recently, which we'll put a link to in the show notes. Um, and you just hit 100,000 views. Yes, yesterday. Yay. In what's that, like a few weeks? Two months. Two months. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're so pretty happy. It feels like it's catching fire a little bit. And um, I watched it and was really inspired by it. It feels like there's quite a few parallels between how you think about work and how I think about work. And mm. I also think I was really excited to sit down with you because I feel like you're someone who thinks about work-life balance even more than I do, which is fun. <laughs> um, but uh, maybe just give us a little bit of the, uh, the sort of background to that TED Talk and I learned a new word, liminality, so so tell me more about that. Okay, so basically at the end of last year, I uh, made the choice to shut down uh, a lot of Free Range Humans, which was a thriving business. It had a membership site attached to it. It had online courses. Like I didn't really have to show up. It it was a business that ran itself and was very passive. Um, And I made the choice to close it down because I'd had a few reasons, but the one that's relevant to this is, as I was mentioning to you earlier, Graham, I was holding back from saying the things I wanted to say mm. because I was really afraid that if I got either too, I guess, strident or even too academic and geeky about what I talked about, that it would really break the solid business that I had. And after a few years of trying to come to grips with doing that, I realized I had to break that business. And I did that. I very consciously closed down everything. The brand is still there. Nothing's yeah. changed. People can still buy one course only. Um, but I took everything else apart. And as soon as I did that, within a few weeks, the opportunity came up to do a TED Talk. And the funny thing was I'd been asked to do TED Talks before, and I'd always said no. And the reason I'd said no was I was like, I think people want me to talk about 
living location independent or working for anyone else. Like, this is ultimately a boring topic. I've done that for years. <laughs> get a backpack or a suitcase, get a laptop, buy a plane ticket. Like, well, I think we've, we're done on that, so we don't need more information. <laughs> Spoiler to how it looks like. And so when I was asked this time, I thought, gosh, you know, I've just made this move. What's the thing that I most want to be talking about in the world? And there was this idea I'd been using with clients for years around the very much what I said before, the, what is it the thing that you almost don't want to bring to the picture because people will laugh. Like for me, part of it was being, one of my things was being quite academic in, in an entrepreneurial world that doesn't usually have space for that, mm. doesn't have space for the gray areas or complexity. And the bigger part of it was a concept called liminality. Um, which I know from my academic background, because <laughs> it's very big in cultural studies and anthropology, and it describes a state of in-betweenness. It basically describes a state of being on the border between two different things, when you've got a foot in a few worlds, and you're part of one thing and also part of another, but not fully able to be put into a box. So we can use this to describe maybe you as a person. So I think the most interesting people in the world, we're all liminal. So even if you're a specialist in what you do and you're maybe you're top of your field in like being a specialist widget maker or whatever, you might still be different to others in that field. Yeah. Maybe you're someone who, maybe you're really sticking with the introvert, extrovert thing. Maybe you're really outgoing and you got to where you are because everyone else around you were really quiet nerds, but you didn't try to be like them. Or maybe it's the other way around. And so that's a liminal person. It's someone who doesn't 100% fit. It's not about your success. It's not about your interests. It's about this continual sense that some of us have that we're able to look like we fit into the worlds we move in. Mm. But a little bit of us feels like we don't 100% fit into any of them. And I want to take that and some other concepts around, with it, around liminality and say, what does it actually mean to be liminal in a world that actually fears anything that can't be put into a box. What's the cultural context around this? And there's a lot of cultural context, especially at the moment around borders and what are you, are you in or out, this or mm, that. Sure. And look at, at the biggest thing that my TED Talk, I believe, did was showed, <clears throat> in short, the correlation between being a liminal person and stepping into your liminal edge, the thing that you might be tempted to hide, and the most successful innovators and the most successful people who lead movements and mm. who actually create these lives and, and things in the world that are worth having. It's very hard to point to someone who's done great work without also seeing their liminality. And yet we're taught, in order to succeed, you have to fit in. And the TED Talk was challenging that. And it's because it's about frameworks, isn't it? So if you're going to you know, break new ground or smash something apart, you have to dare to go outside of the framework to be able to do that. So do you think there's a... Do you think there's a correlation between people who feel liminal and people who become entrepreneurs and freelancers mm. and who are outside of the bubble of paid work? And also, do you think that's blurring a little bit? I mean, it kind of feels to me that there's a lot of people now who yes. are freelance but only really a name or... And that's liminal. You're right. It, I mean, it's so it's right? kind of an interesting thing. I, I talked to a friend yesterday um, who was talking about his freelance career and 
how you know, in the past he'd been fully employed in a corporate world. He'd quit that to go off and do a business, like a totally different business. And after a while, his business was doing really well, but he mm. was like, I'm kind of burnt out. I don't really want to do this now. And so he crafted a career where he's partly doing that, but also freelancing at very high rates in an industry that doesn't normally take on freelancers. So right. he's really liminal. And he's so happy because I get to do everything I want to do. But there was no box to put him into. So I think, yes, yeah. to answer it, I believe that the other reason I gave the talk, you hit on really well, is that it's very now. You know, we, we don't have the, the I think it's a, a construct between liminal and linear. And our world is very linear. And mm. liminal, obviously, is also about lines. But liminal, if you imagine a straight line, that's how we're told life and work, or even business, should look. Yeah. But in the moment, we're dancing over that line. And if we're trying to stick to the line straight, I think we're losing out. We're not in the direction that the world's going in. So if somebody feels like, okay, I've got my foot in this camp and I feel this is where I belong, but then I've got a foot somewhere else or an eye somewhere else and I should be somewhere else. <laughs> like, what do they do about that? I mean, how do you... That seems like a career change question. So someone's just not happy in what they do. But it could be a style thing or a... Could it be could be. I, I think there's a few aspects of the minority. One of them is personality. It's how you bring that to the picture. One of them is... Um, where you are in your life. Are you in a liminal life stage? So we can talk about this in a set. Things like dating, for example, are liminal life stages, and we're very uncomfortable with them. Um, but also what you're saying here is someone feels about what they're doing in their life, that they have another interest mm. in the site. I mean, that's, that's standard career change stuff or, or um, side project stuff. So if, you, know, you could do a side project. You could bring some of that into what you're doing. Um, but I think the bigger, the overlaying big picture answer to that would be to not look for an exact example of someone else who's done it exactly in exactly your circumstance because that's I think where we have a losing game uh, we can have a lot of questions around being liminal in a linear world but they the only true answer is we let's stop looking for role models that tell us exactly how to be as in yeah. they were in my situation they were this age they had this background they did exactly that and then they, they did this on the side and they transitioned to that you're not going to find that <laughs> like that's not out there and the way we're taught about role models is problematic it feels quite old school as well yeah like the notion of uh the the gaps in your cv thing right so that mm. is that that's a symptom of linear in that way, right? So it's like, oh, I can't employ this person because maybe at some point they decided to do something else and they for, have gaps. for three months or, or they tried to set up a business or whatever. It's so quite I think interesting, this... isn't it? And yeah, the funny thing about liminality, when we start taking on this concept of being someone who doesn't you know, look like you fit, we don't feel like you do, mm. is there's so many ways to play it. Yeah. And one of the things I think is most important around this concept, if you're someone who identifies with this, you're like, what do I do with it? Is that liminal doesn't mean rebel. And I have a big issue with this construct that we have, which is you are a conformist or you are a rebel. Yeah. You know, and people go, oh, mm. I, I did one interview where they literally opened and said, you did a talk about rebels. And I was like, no, I did a, I did a talk <laughs> that was not about rebels. And let me tell you the difference. And this will probably help if anyone's listening and thinking, oh, I, you know, I, I don't feel like I fit or maybe I want to do something else. A rebel is someone is a very unpowerful position, in my view, because what it does is it says, here's the norm. So here's the... I don't know, maybe the corporate world, for example. And the only option I have in my life at all is to reject everything about it and reject society as it stands and go off and live in the woods. Mm. I find that really unpowerful as a position, not because I have a problem going off living in the woods. That's a great life decision for some people, but because it comes from a state of reaction, yeah. right? 
And what and it's more defined by what you're in opposition to yes. rather than what you're in favor of or whatever. Exactly. And yeah. it, I think it's as um, limiting as conformity, which says, here's this construct. How do I fit and how do I tick a box? And I'll give you a personal example of what led me to this point. Was I was, as you probably know, I was traveling the world pretty full time for about five years as a free range human. Um, before before it was trendy, <laughs> before the co-working spaces were everywhere, um, or just at the start of that, actually. And um, I was meeting more and more people over the years who were doing the same. And this whole movement sort of came up around even nonconformity or rebel, the rebel movement. Like, there were a lot of names for it. But the idea mm. was you were a nonconformist or a rebel or something. And I always had a little bit, I've never felt that way. And people were like, you're such a rebel. I'm like, I really don't feel that way, but okay. <laughs> and... One day, I started to realize the problem with it. And I realized that this movement, which you'd think would be about freedom and about living life your way, turned out to have a lot of rules that evolved over time. Not from any particular person, mm. but because that's what we do as humans when we're in a groupthink environment. And so this is the kind of the digital nomad rules. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Right, even okay. di- that's another one, digital nomad. Yeah. Um, and one day, I noticed um, people I knew, someone I knew, wrote a blog post apologizing for the fact that they were going to stop traveling and saying they felt like they let their community down, they were not nonconformist because they dared to want to settle down. Right. And I remember replying to it and saying, firstly, you know, I've, I've just bought a house in London, or a flat in London, so I'm totally on board with that. I was like, firstly, you know, that's a little problematic because we, we're supposed to be talking about life on your terms. That's what this person said they were talking about. And you just apologized to the nonconformist <laughs> movement for not conforming. And at that moment, I really, I kind of had a view that this was getting to become a little bit of a super established movement. And then I realized it, that there, what it showed me wasn't about that scene at all. It was actually that there is no place in the world. There is no movement. There is no location that is going to give you that ability to be a liminal person. Mm. It doesn't exist. So if you're looking for the place, and I've lived everywhere, so I can tell you, you're looking for the place, if you're looking for the company, the movement, the guru, it won't happen. Because as soon as anything, more than a couple of people gather over a period of time, norms emerge. And there's nothing wrong with norms. But there starts to be a problem if we're taking a linear approach and we're spending our lives leaping between uh, maybe interest, maybe we get into yoga and then we get disappointed that we're not the best yogi because we have the, we're a bit different on the side. Then we go off and uh, get into clubbing and we're like, but we've also got the conscious side and we go off and get into our work. But then this, we're going to bounce. And I've did, did this for years. I bounced between, even though I had a business, I'd be doing side projects and this and that, looking for belonging. Mm. I think that's what most of us are doing, looking for belonging and identity. And I was like, that doesn't exist. It only, it only comes from when we say this is who I am and when I inhabit that world when I when I you know I'm speaking at a digital nomad conference soon you know with using a lot of stuff from my TED talk yeah. so I'm still I've got a foot in that world but it doesn't define me mm. and I'm not looking for anything in my life anymore any business that will define who I am I'm looking for it to be able to play a part in my life that I can define and so going back to your original point of saying if someone's going what's I've got this other interest over here Great. I mean, there's lots of ways to pursue that. You know, I help people do side projects and stuff. That's great. But I would also ask, is this something you just really want to do? Is this part of your identity? Or are you kind of looking for something to rescue you about Mm, who you're meant to be? Because in that case, it's not going to 
it's, that's not going to do that. So, so take a different view and you might bring more lightness to it and then you might be likely to do it. You'll be more likely to actually do it with more heart. Does that make sense? Yeah, it yeah. makes total sense. I suppose it's also, you know, there's something in there about if you're going to define what does success mean to you and what does life on your terms mean, then it has to be on your terms. And that can be, I guess, curating different ideas that you found from other people that you find inspiring, but not necessarily... You're not going to, what you're saying is you're not going to find it just by joining one particular and tribe taking, or movement yeah. or thing and going, that's me. And know. taking on all its norms yeah. because then you'll lose yeah. yourself. Like, take on the ones that are the best fit but you don't. The final thing I'll say on this is you don't need to then go and reject something because it wasn't fully you. Mm, <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe maybe if it's a work thing, you're going to have to move on from it. That's fine, or whatever it might be. But I think we can have so much more joy in things. You know, I go to events now that I wouldn't have gone to in the past. I'll give you an example. I've never seen myself as someone who is like super fit in terms of like working out. I've always had a good level of fitness, but I've never seen that. And for years, I held back from taking part in sort of organized fitness activities like gyms and stuff because I was like oh it's not me I'm not one of them Mm. and the last few years that's really turned around for me because it was the more I thought about liminality the more I was like actually you know what I can go to that class like I got up at 6 30 this morning to go to a ridiculous bar class (laughs) and you know I was probably the worst in that class which is great everyone else was super fit and probably a professional dancer so I was definitely not but I could show up to that and I can feel good in there and get so much out of it and know that in that class, I might be the weakest, but I'll still show up because it's not my identity. But if I go to another gym or another thing, I might be one of the best in that class. But again, it's, I'm, my identity is not attached to that. It's actually because what I've set myself up for in terms of fitness is I'm doing this because I want to feel really great. So that's mm. what I chose that. If you went into it and said, I want to do it because I want to be the best at that class, that would be great. That would be your identity. So it's really making that choice. You know, like I just one more example on it. I, I know a lot of people who started um, businesses that would let them live a life they want and have more yeah. freedom. They get that and then they'll start comparing themselves to others and say, but they're making more, they're doing this. But I'm like, but two years ago, you said you wanted X and you just got it. Right. So yeah. why did you let, why didn't you just say, that's where I am? Does that make I hope that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. And so coming back to that thing about the, not making something part of your identity or not making something the only thing that defines you. So mm. with with free range humans, with your business, so you you know, you stop doing a lot of the courses that you're doing, but you've still yeah. left the website there. You've left one thing there. So is that is that how you see that in terms of you? It's 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 a badge that you're wearing rather than being the whole of you. I'm really you very insightful actually. It's funny. The real reason I closed down the courses was actually identity. Mm. I was known as the free-range humans person, and I didn't know how to be without that identity. And I knew I wouldn't move on until that was no longer my identity. Yeah. That makes sense to you. Like, even now, I I have interview rules, um, which you're doing fine by, by the way. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) people used to interview me just about free-range humans. And now, as you probably know, you go to my website, there's a list of things I won't talk about (laughs) as the main point. I and totally. I, I looked to, on your yeah. website quite a bit, and I totally didn't see that. So. I probably didn't send it to you. Yeah. I think it would be fine. Yeah. But you know, if someone has a two-minute interview. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> but I think that's really important. Sometimes, you know, it's there's no hard and fast rule. I think sometimes we need to take a make a break from an yeah. identity because it's so overwhelmingly strong. Mm. Before I'm not some I'm not someone who 
I know it sounds like I'm talking about moderation here, and that's not my natural thing to talk about. Um, I think it needs to be situational. So if you're so attached to an identity that you know is holding you back, especially if you've had success in it, because yeah. success, honestly, it's I can say from experience, it's the biggest killer of creativity. Mm, um, it really is. So when your book came out, so the book did really well. You were I I was seeing you crop up all over the place. You yeah. were on like the Daily Mail. Oh God! You know yeah. all these things where and there, and there was a certain there's a certain brand that goes with that and a mm-hmm. certain sort of very Instagram existence uh, that goes along with that, which is like pictures of you sat next to the beach with your laptop doing that whole thing, right? Yeah. And then so you're in that, and then you decide. I want to buy a house in London and obviously that doesn't really fit with that yep. sort of Instagram lifestyle. So was part of it feeling conflicted between where you wanted to go next in your life and where your business was, it was telling other people? It, it's so weird. Well, I yeah. never. Here's the funny thing and you may identify with this. From the moment I started Free Range Humans, I was very clear this was not about being a digital nomad. Mm. I remember even in year one, I, I said, it's free range in terms of who you are and how you choose to work in the world. Um, and unfortunately, I took on a lot of press opportunities. And what the press wanted was Instagrammable pictures. Yeah. So through press and interviews, I got a reputation. I have not ever run a course on being a digital nomad, ever. And I've run a lot of courses. So I basically found myself not just with a created identity that I'd created, but with an identity that had been created for me. Yeah. And that's annoying. (laughs) So I talked about online business and stuff like that that happened to correlate with that, but I it wasn't my thing. And so for me, yeah, to answer your question, it was that sense of I have this really good thing, but in order to be able to express other parts of myself, I have to make a choice. I have to make a choice whether I want to continue. It was almost like being in a river where you're just being pushed with, you've got this boat and you're so in flow that you cannot stop the boat. Mm. And the only way to do it is to literally take it to pieces and step offshore and say, I'm out for a while. Yeah. Um, which I think you might be doing a little bit as well. Yeah, but I took a sabbatical, sure. I took a three-month sabbatical. My first step was a few years, a year after my book came out, I knew something was off. I was like, this is not me. I don't want to be in these press pieces. And I keep saying yes. And they keep asking about where I'm working. And I'm like, <laughs> this is ultimately uninteresting. Um, I have a lot more I want to talk about. Like, yeah. I want to talk about the ideas and, and like what p- individuals are doing uh, in terms of who they are showing up in their business. And so I took a three-month sabbatical where I st- stepped back from my business 100%. So I wasn't, much similar to you now, I wasn't allowed to look at my emails or social media or talk to my team. And that was amazing. And what amazing. did you do in that time? So you, three months out. Oh, I had a breakdown. <clears throat> that was great. <laughs> like, aside from that, um, I was in Bali uh, as usual because I was based there a lot. And I didn't travel. I stayed mm. in Bali uh, in a place I was very familiar with in Ubud. I did a lot of sort of spiritual work. I did a lot of personal stuff. I painted a lot. So part of my rule, I had a lot of rules. One of the rules was I used to write every week for my email list and I felt like I was storytelling my life. And I was like, I has to stop. So I wasn't allowed to write. I could write a maximum of one huh. line at a time if I had an idea for like, what would happen? I have all these ideas and I'd start writing a ream of ideas. And I was like, you can't do that. On this sabbatical, you can write a quick note like 
I know. Wow. Yeah, so there was no writing. It was only visual because I wasn't expressed. Even just writing that's for yourself? Though, Absolutely not. Feels... No, because I, I, I was using that part of my brain so yeah. much. It was like I was becoming so specialist in that that I could feel there were other bits of me that were, were really fighting to get out. Yeah. And what that sabbatical did, it completely changed the course of my life, I think, um, because it got me to get under the surface of the things I was so used to and to see what else was there waiting to come out. Yeah. Um, and that kind of led to everything I've done since. What were the other sabbatical rules? Um, no, for the first month, I had to not have my smartphone. Okay. So I had this tiny little phone that is the, I don't know what to say, but it's like that, that big. I don't know how many inches that is. That's four inches, three inches, tiny, tiny yeah. number of inches. Um, and you could it's own like one of those old uh, Ericsson flip smaller. phones. Smaller. You like actually that. could only write on it with a stylus <laughs> and you could just say yes or no. Like it was just horrible. But I had no smartphone and I think there was one more, but that was, yeah, big mm. stuff that you're so used to. And funny thing was, you know, I came, I did that thinking it's going to break my business. And obviously, I came back and my business was fine. Yeah. So, and I didn't tell anyone. That was the other thing. It was my team knew and some of my friends knew, but we didn't do a public announcement. Oh, wow. So, okay. it was a real test of how will my brand work yeah. without me at all. So, people who'd paid for your membership site and stuff. So, had you written loads of content before you went off so that you This had... was pre-membership site. Okay. Um, membership site actually came after right. that. This was when I was doing, I had passive online courses and I did course launches. So obviously we didn't do any launches in that period, but um, all my courses were there to buy. Yeah. And so you had passive courses there to buy. Were people seeing like content, like fresh content, like your yeah. mailing list and stuff from you during yeah. that time? Yeah. Or was that being written by somebody else? That was or? me. I, I'd pre-written. So you pre-wrote those I pre-wrote everything. Before. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was wow. great actually. Yeah. <laughs> So it all works without you. Were you not tempted to just say, well, one way of making this just one part of me would be to just say, well, just let that sit there and carry on doing yeah. exactly what it's doing and then just make your next slash in What happened? Else. I did next. Like, I launched a membership site to do that exactly. And I ran right. that for a few years in which I had to show up about once every three months and it had a continual funnel of people in. It was thriving um, and it was great. So I ran that for a few years and literally didn't have to do anything else for income. Yeah. Uh, turns out, though, uh, that wasn't enough. Like, it was great, and I, I managed to buy my place in London off the back of that. So I'm really grateful I did that, and it was the right thing to have done. But going back to this idea of identity, it was I was still too attached to it. It was still too much mm. for beginners. It was still... There was so much in it. There was a lot of how-tos. What do you mean it was so, too much for beginners? It was it mean? was focused on people who were really starting their business. Okay. And that's not entirely where I wanted to sit anymore. And yeah, I had a product for it. It was it had a business course in it that had a bunch of how-tos. So, you know, how to grow your business in this way. And yet the thing I was talking about publicly and to friends was that there is no one right way to run a business. Now, when I mentor individuals who are already established, I look at what their personality is, what their background is, and what their easiest way from A to B is to get mm. what they want. You cannot systematize that. I tried it, and I'm quite good at systematizing, but I, I couldn't. It's not possible to come up, even if I came up with five different models, which I did, there'd still be an edge case for this person, an edge case for that. So I was like, I'm telling everyone that the online world of how to start and run your business following whatever model, like email list was my model at the time. Mm. I was like, that's good for about 10% of people. 
and yet I'm teaching that to 100% of people while telling everyone that you can't have that. And I was like, this is so out of alignment. Right. And I don't yeah. believe that you can systematize. When I started out in the industry, you could systematize stuff and tell people there is a right way to do it because there were few options. And now we're in an online world where there are hundreds of options mm. for growing your business. And I don't believe it's right to tell people just because I did it this way, it's right for you because it's not true. Very few people do it exactly the way I did it, but I can mentor them to do it the way that they should do it. And so I thought, I have to pull this. Lots of reasons were coming up. But, you know, I was going down the path of having a single identity that only encompassed a tiny part of me and actually went against a lot of other bits of me. So that's not yeah. too, too deep there, but that's sure. why I made a bit of a, a choice. Yeah, and so where you are now, so you're doing bits of public speaking, yes. you're doing bits of writing, you're kind of... Uh, I'm mentoring people a lot. That's my, yeah. bi- that's my biggest thing right now is, is one-day mentorships, but um, also looking at a book of, on liminality and potentially mm. another product, but it would not be a how-to. And how do you, how do you define a successful week for you or... Yeah. You're just thinking in that kind of work-life balance sense. Um, how yeah. do you know when? How do you know that you're in flow and feeling good about things that you do? Like, what are your what are your markers? What are your uh-huh. success That's a great measures there? Question. Um, I would say, well, I don't know. The meta point would be that things start clicking into place. So opportunities come up. People mm. want to talk to you. Um, it just all starts happening. So that's the first thing. I think that's a bigger. That's a bigger thing. It takes a while to get to that. In terms of... Can you just explain that more? Because I kind of feel like there'll be people listening to this who, I don't know, maybe that, like, it'd be just lovely to get some practical examples yes. of how that clicks into place. Uh, okay, uh, starting with an example I gave at the beginning. After I shut down my membership, um, the uh, TED Talk opportunity came up. Right, okay. Right? Now, that came up directly because of that, because it was actually yeah. a old member of mine who was involved in that committee and said, you have to pitch this. And I was like, I'm not pitching it. She goes, I will write your pitch. You have to do it. And she did. Um, So, um, you know, that's one thing. So then that came up, and suddenly people would approach me a bit for speaking. And you could kind of feel that it's not just one thing. Lots of things start clicking. Mentorships were the same. I I didn't have a web page for it for the first six months. I just told a few people I'd worked with for years, I'm doing this. Word of mouth happened. Having said that, I think if you're at the start of something, that's a very high bar. You're not going to get that traction as quickly because mm. people need to trust you and, yeah. and, and trust you with what they're doing. Luckily, because I've been established for a while, that comes just that much faster. But once you've, you've been doing it, yeah. Of those previous relationships, I guess. But I think what's interesting about that, and, and I've had similar uh, points on my journey where this has happened, where I was, you know, I, I was quite well known in certain parts of the voluntary sector. And then when people wanted productivity advice in the early days, those were the first people to buy it because they knew me and they trusted yeah. me. So it's before you can get into, you know, the big companies who've never heard of you, actually yeah. you're building up that sort of track record and portfolio with people that you do know. So it's kind of, I guess, listening to, using that traction and then listening to what's out there. With and feeling the ideas, pull, like where's the, where are people, mm-hmm. i give you a non-personal example. A friend of mine um, has this ability to constantly be asked to do very um, good speaking gigs. Uh, she has a very terrible website. She doesn't really have a business behind it. Um, and somehow, she doesn't know how, she continually gets asked to speak at these very high-end places. Yeah. And she's like, 
I mean, she really downplays it. She's like, oh, you know, I, I get this. She gets press. She has like five page features in weekend magazines about her and her business, which doesn't make any money. Um, and <laughs> every time we've talked about this over the years, she's like, oh, yeah, that stuff's easy. That, that's not, that's, that's simple stuff. I want to know how to do this other bit of a business. Mm. And for a long time, I was like, look, you've got to listen to where the pull is. People want you on stage. People want you in front of groups. So instead of trying to build up the other thing that you think you should do, because everyone on the internet is doing that, you have such a pull, stop ignoring it. Mm. And that's a hint. Like, and I think that's a big example. You might be thinking, oh, I don't have you know, press chasing me. But if someone could ignore press chasing them, what else might you be ignoring, <laughs> right? Like it could, sure. it could be that you're a collaborator and you're trying to do everything alone and you're like, oh, no, it's too easy if I just chat to someone. Well, you're, you're not going to have a successful week unless you actually build that in. If you're a collaborator type and doing everything by yourself and you're wondering where your flow is, go and work with people. So it's just these yeah. things where you go, where's your ease? So I always, it's a question I ask for everyone. Where is your ease? Um, and doing more of it because then it, that's when things start to just you know, escalate and flow. Mm. And it sounds like from the changes that you've made, so moving away from the courses, moving away from the membership site. Yeah. Uh, so have you, did you sort of downscale your infrastructure a little bit around that business? And so now you're much freer as well as you. So does that, is that something that's important to you in terms of how you define how you work? Mm. Is not having a team or lots oh, of... Oh, that's hard. Not having pressure <laughs> on, on you to be delivering the content on Friday to go out to the email list and delivering the, you know... Uh, here's here's the thing. The I, I have a theory, a theory about life, um, that everything works in seasons right Mm. that you have like your summer spring season when things are birthed then it goes to autumn winter when they start becoming systematized and i think that theory works really well when you look at any industry cycle but also any business cycle i love having a team i miss having a real team i like having deadlines and i actually miss having deadlines um, which is why i'm I'm artificially creating some by potentially launching a different membership just based on (laughs) forcing me to write content However, the reason, one big reason that I did make that choice to scale back the infrastructure was an awareness over the years of helping people with their business, of realizing that if you come in with really heavy infrastructure, and you, and you, especially if you don't have a way of servicing it, like you don't have a, like if you have your business running and it's servicing that, great. But yeah. if you just bring your infrastructure along for the ride and you're starting from scratch, it's like you're bringing your winter coat into a summer island, your summer destination. It's too heavy. And it slows you down. So knowing that, as soon as I said, I want to start something fresh. I have my new website up. I want to start a sort of a new thing. I was like, I can't pre- like bring all my old business with me. So I so scaled the team So it's about you having back. agility and being uh, yeah. able to just fly by those hunches and, and really yeah. create at a pace. And not have, you know, if you have team meetings, I'm, I love having a team. It's one of my favorite things. And I love running a real business and I've really missed it. Mm. And it's made me aware because at first I thought, well, maybe I just want to be a permanent, you know, someone who does things, little things here. And then I was like, I actually don't. I really love people. And I love working with incredibly competent people. It's my favorite thing. Um, but it wasn't right for that moment. So, mm. and that's allowed me now to get to a point where I'm saying, well, actually, I do want deadlines. I don't want them to be me emailing my entire, you know, however many thousand people every week anymore because that I stopped that a few years ago because uh, that wasn't fitting me anymore. But yes, I do want to be delivering content to people who have paid for it and want it, and I can do that weekly. Yeah. So it shifts, shifts yeah. you up. Yeah. 
Do you think, so you did something with your business that I think maybe a lot of people would be tempted to do but feel like they can't do because they've, there's all that kind of sunk cost theory yeah. of I've created this asset, how can I just you know, trash this? I've got all these people that are paying for this and they need to carry on paying for this and yeah. all that sort of thing. Do you think that was, I mean, did it take you a long time to get from the place where your hunch was you should do it to the place of taking action on it? It took me a few years. Yeah. Um, um, first, first year was trying to, was completely stepping back from the business. Yeah. And the second year was freaking out about it. <laughs> um, it, it took a, a big journey. You know, I really went on literally a physical journey to Peru uh, mm. to really figure this one out. Right. Uh, and when I got there, it was very, very clear that this wasn't such a big deal. Yeah. That if I wanted to start again tomorrow, I could, which is why I didn't break the brand. It's, let's, I mean, let's talk about liminality again here. Because if this was a breaking thing story, I'd have made a huge announcement. Like, mm. I haven't. My yeah. email list doesn't even know unless there's... I, I talk about it in interviews. I talk about it to friends. Yeah. But I didn't go, I am leaving. Yeah, right, I didn't yeah, do that. Yeah. I was like, okay, so what do I need to shut down? You shut down X, Y, Z. That's fine. The brand's fine. Leave it. Mm. Um, and I think we can do things in these ways where you can hedge your bets a tiny bit. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to break everything, but I think you have to know which pieces are in your way. Mm. And coming back to your thing about the, the seasons and the cycle. Mm. Is that something where, I mean, do you work with a lot of people where you feel like, okay, lots of people have that hunch to move on or do something different, but actually they're stuck in, you know, autumn, winter where they've systematized and it's working, but it's not, you know, it's not serving what they need it to anymore. Exactly. Yes. And that's an interesting one because I don't believe that the answer for everyone is to shut their business down. Uh, I was able to do that. It was right for me to do that uh, for lots of reasons, but I say shut down, but I could go back tomorrow, so (laughs) not really shut down. Um, There are some people I think it's not going to be a right move for, and they're people who really, maybe they've got a lot of infrastructure around what they do. It doesn't necessarily weigh on their time, and they are able to, their identity isn't overly bound to it, or they're the sort of person who can eat, who can craft another identity while still leaving that running. Mm. Uh, I didn't just I just didn't feel I could do it, and I tried it, um, not for any practical reason. It just didn't work for me. When I and I, I think that's the the thing is, I think sometimes we have to work with who we are rather than the ideal. So I had all these people giving me advice on this and saying, "Oh, you should try this and that." And I said, "I've tried those. Right. I've yeah. tried having someone else run it, and it works, but I'm not doing the work. So even if that, I think we sometimes can beat ourselves up and say the ideal scenario would be to do this." If that's not working for you, that's not the ideal scenario, so don't do it. But for someone listening, it might be, hey, you know what, this is just an identity issue or it's just a possibility issue or it's just a time issue. It might be going back to the idea of maybe it's someone who's over-managing their business, which is a big one of people I work with who are too ingrained. Because, yeah. you know, I've been very good at historically is getting out of a business like and having it run without me, but a lot of us are too ingrained. Yeah, I'm definitely the opposite of being too ingrained. Yeah. More, <laughs> on the step back. And I suppose that for me is an interesting thing to hear just because I think I do have that infrastructure around Think Productive. I'm not involved in that. But then for me, the exploration around work-life balance and and how you define happiness and success is kind of, for me, the bit that sort of links productivity to where I'm thinking about, you know, future books and going next. And I think sort of it's thing. the so thing, the difference between you and I maybe, because I think a lot of similarities, was that my business is very much based around, based around me as a brand, like mm. a different name. Yeah. And so 
I think that was the difference. And yeah. I'd say that's it. It's not like you know, I was a photographer or a, talking about productivity, which is separate from you. Yeah. It was always down to I like you as a person. Even though you've got a whole business, I want to work with your ideas. And it was very me-based. And so that's why the identity conflation happened. But if you don't have that, I don't think you just shut it down. But if yeah, you do, just, I think you really need to work on what's going yeah, on with it. That just terrified me at the very beginning. So I just always wanted to set it up not around. <laughs> I actually yeah. like it. I think I, I've, it's something I've come to realize is my natural style. Like yeah. I will, if I were to write a book on liminality, for example, it's not going to not have bits of me in it. And the reason mm, is I've tested this. When yeah. I start to write and don't put myself in it, my, the response goes down. Like I have to have, I just happens to be that my style is to give personal examples as a way into understanding bigger concepts. So I am going to have to deal with the fact that whatever I create is going to be attached to me. And when I move on, that's going to be something I deal with. Mm, But, you know, everyone's got a different business. So I wanted to change that a little bit and talk about productivity. Yes. Um, And I remember we chatted a few years ago and you were telling me about productivity experiments. Do you remember oh that? Gosh, or am I might yes. put you on the spot now. No, I actually talked about the smartphone thing with you. I remember that. Yeah, right. Maybe we talked about uh, this when you said it. Because I did a year of productivity experiments in 2013. And then right. when we were chatting, you're like, oh, I did that. And I, you know, we just had all these kind of things. So I just wanted to uh, maybe ask you about your favorite productivity experiment or experiments. Oh, my God. Um, well, do you know what? I what have you done I, that's I, really I think worked? I've actually just talked about it. It was the, it was the three month off thing. <laughs> the three, so having three months off and, not, and smartphone addiction. Yeah, it was both of those. Actually, yeah. it was, they're still my favorite. I've done other things. They're the best because, uh, number one, the three-month-off thing was meant that I had to work out what I was doing in my business that was wasteful. So if I was spending days faffing with something, you can't outsource faff with that for days. You have to actually understand <laughs> what it is that you were right. doing. It's just about clarity. And, it, got, you, yeah. it got me clear. It got us to um, document everything. Mm. Um, and I started by taking you know, just one week off. So then you actually can grow up to it. The smartphone thing, I think, worked because I can get very smartphone addicted. And so that was a way of saying... I like quite extreme productivity experiments because or I call them lifestyle experiments mm. because I think sometimes when we think, oh, I've got to make this little change, if we're not making it because we think it's impossible, so why not raise the bar a tiny bit? Why not just go instead of saying, oh, I should use my smartphone less? If you're not doing that, you tell yourself that for a year. What if you didn't use your smartphone for a week? What would happen? Yeah. Well, what would probably happen is that it would be a bit difficult, <laughs> but then you would realize when you did and didn't need it. So just a practical point on that. When I took three months off, I'd been checking my email several times a day. I dealt with all the emails that had come in. That had not, not, there were a lot of stuff was screened by my team, but I dealt with the emails that had come in to me and needed me to deal with them in uh, a few hours. And I was like, I've just spent a few hours on email that I used to spend hours on every day. Every day, day yeah. And I was like, this is insane. So that, that sort of thing, I think, is really useful. Mm. I remember when I did mine, I did a, a month of only... So I did a pastiche on the idea of no email Friday, and I just did email Friday. So it's the only day of the week. Um, oh, yeah, and the, the amazing thing about that was... So I could... So Thursday evening started to feel like Christmas Eve, because it was like, oh, I get to look at email tomorrow. So it really changed my mindset around email being a, being a drudgery thing, and suddenly it was an exciting thing. But then on Friday, you'd go in there, you'd do some processing for a couple of hours, and then suddenly the whole week's worth of stuff is done. You know, it's, it is quite amazing when you start to concentrate those things or start to, to batch stuff together. 
Can I ask you a quick question about productivity? Mm. You've got me thinking, because you've got, like me, you've got these experiments running, but you're also very good at the practical tools. The way I see my version of productivity is probably more on effectiveness rather than efficiency. So I'm wondering how much you work that in. So for give you a quick example. To me, an example of effectiveness would be to say, when I... Okay, let's just say, as I said before, someone's a collaborator type of person. When that person um, tries to create a product, they create it faster and better when they do it with a group of one to two other people. Mm. Now, for me, if I was advising them, I wouldn't be talking about time management. I would say, just stop seeing by yourself have a laptop and spend three days talking to people. Like that, that would be much more effective. Is that, how does that, does that, is that something you guys do with productivity? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it's about not focusing on the time aspect, right? So you have to focus on what's going to be most effective. I think, come back to that email thing, what was quite interesting from my point of view was that it also had a, a double effect. So it, it cut down the amount of time that I needed to spend on it, but it also meant that people were much more free to solve their own problems rather than to email me, mm. right? So then it becomes effective from a, from a different way. So I think it's always about how do you get the biggest bang for your buck, you know, in terms of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, and that's why I also think email is, you know, a lot of people talk about inbox zero and email management, but it, of course that's just one medium of getting work done, right? And yeah. also and so getting if the someone right is, work done. And yeah. even yeah. being, yeah, absolutely. And, and if you're someone who is, you know, looking at email even only five or six times a day, I'd argue you're probably thinking about productivity more than most people because a lot of people just leave it on. Oh, and really? it's just there, yeah, just oh, interrupting God. you the whole day, right? Oh, I have no notifications on <laughs> anything except texts. Yeah, I'm text still amazed me. by if I'm doing a talk and I say, how many people have turned off notifications on their Microsoft Outlook? Like how few people put their hands up? Um, so I think, and not because people are stupid, sometimes it's because people feel compelled and pressurized sometimes it's the culture sometimes they're just too busy to take the time out and think about that or get training in it or whatever and it's just you know it's always chaos more than conspiracy these things but I, i do think there's um yeah a definite need to try and focus on how do i create the best outcomes and what kind of environment suits me to do that yeah sort of thing meetings is also my other big bugbear right Mm -hmm. so the people who just uh, well, actually, more, less the people and more the cultures that just drown people in meetings and the time suck of meetings, I think, is a yeah is a huge, huge issue. You know, and actually, back to your thing of creating something with, you know, two or three like-minded people in a room, most, most of the time the temptation is, is to add way more people to a meeting than need to be there, right, and have yeah. a meeting of 12 people, which just gets totally inefficient as you yeah. go along. yeah. Yeah. Um, burnout. Can I touch about burnout? Yes. You uh, did a thing a few years ago that I found on YouTube, which was about product launches and burnout and, uh, and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, and I just thought it was really refreshing that you were willing to share that. Uh, and I think for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I, don't think it, I think it's a thing that a lot of entrepreneurs just don't want to talk about at all because it's seen as somehow a sign of weakness everything else. And I suppose the second thing that made it doubly brave for you is that your business at that point was about selling this lifestyle of mm-hmm. life on your terms and, you know, and, and for work-life balance to be um, very much to the fore. Mm-hmm. And then you're doing work that's 
was burning you know, me making up. you ill, right? So, yeah. so tell me about how you came to the realization that you needed to talk about that and, uh, and, and maybe just what your reflections on those, those times are. Oh my God. Well, I think firstly, uh, I, I spill my personal life on the internet so I can just talk <laughs> about everything. But the reason I do that, and it's, it's not that altruistic, is um, I'm, in terms of the burnout thing, for example, I'm very lucky in that um, my body is very linked to my state of well of mental well-being. Mm. If I, and I say lucky because I think this could be this is a huge weakness in some environments, but I've tu- I think I've turned it into a strength. In that, if I don't take care of how I'm feeling, I get ill to the point I can't move. Right, like I don't have a choice. Yeah. So it's not like me going. I think it's a weakness. Of course, it's a weakness. But if I don't turn it into an advantage, I won't get anything done. That makes sense. Like to me, there wasn't a choice. Like I had yeah. to stop burning out because my body was like not functioning. So is that to do with? I mean, is that to do with stress? So do you feel like you're someone who, uh, like, you feel stressed very physically? Like, so when you're saying you're. I feel very um, identify as a highly sensitive person. HSP. Mm. If you could Google that, if you haven't heard of it, a hundred percent me. So I feel everything uh, all the time. <laughs> it's continually feeling all the things, but it means that I feel, <laughs> HSPs feel things in a more heightened way. Right. So emotions are felt in a more heightened way. Um, people's moods are felt more heightened, which is why I don't like. I do one to one work, but as I told you before, I can only do it for one day because I can't hold someone's mood for longer. I can hold them for a day, so I have to to adapt how I work to make that work for right. me. Okay. When it comes to burnout, yes, um, if I do things that are not optimized for being the most effective, then I will burn out, which is why I'm so interested in, um, well, maybe productivity would be the word, but I tend to use effectiveness as my word mm. because I don't have scope for it. Right, like my body will not take that, so yeah. I have to know. For example, if I'm launching a product, I have to go and say, right, what's my most effective way of doing it based on historical evidence of how I work, not how it should work, but how I work, and then do that and do only that. Yeah. So I'm notorious for doing the minimum viable everything and for having it work really well because you have to. So the reason I talked about burnout is because I've taken because of how my body reacts to everything, and it has done since I was a young child. It's just very sensitive. Because of that, I had to learn how to really listen to the evidence around me of which bits of what I was doing were working and which bits were just adding a lot of crap. And I was mm. telling myself I had to do. And yeah. that was my approach to talking about burnout, to say, look, you know what, this is, your, this is a signal. Because if you are, yes, we have to work really hard, especially at the start of a project. And I'm very much someone who put my head down. I'll really get into it and I want to put, give everything to it. And I think that's positive. And yes, there might be a bit of burnout with that, but that has to be time limited. You know, there's a difference between being adrenalized for a period and I was living on adrenaline spikes. Yeah. And I didn't know. So when people say, do you love what you do? I said, yes, of course I do because I was always on adrenaline. But I think most I, people in work are addicted to adrenaline though, don't you think? That's why, that's why we have breakdowns when we take three months off. Yeah, and also just <laughs> yeah. the, so there's the adrenaline addiction, there's also the, you know, the, the, the adrenal function of people, so having coffee yep. first thing in the morning and then mm-hmm. having these kind of highs and those, I think a lot of people's adrenal glands must just be shot, right? Yeah, and the thing is, when that's happening, when you're running on adrenaline and your adrenal glands yeah. are in this situation, yes, you have a burnout, but I think if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't care about burnout, I just want to do well, Burnout is telling you you're not doing it your best. Mm. It is shouting at you that you are not on that boat in the river that's pushing you downhill because 
Otherwise, you wouldn't have to be pushing this much. There is some button that you haven't found yet or that you're, not, you're just not seeing it because you yeah. you'd be doing it if you saw it that would make things easier for you because you could see which piece of this you had to be doing the most. And, and what, have you, what have you learned over the years in terms of you know, your own signals and the things that you need to listen to that and say, right, now's my time to take a break or take time out? Like, how, how do you know that's coming? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, gosh, I, that's familiar now. Um, lots of ways. Um, so I, I tend to get, I'm fine doing it for a few days. That's, that's fine. But if I get really sort of very physically tight, like I can feel it like I'll, my back is always in a weird kind of <laughs> mangled way when it's all going bad. I can feel it very physically. Um, my, I get really high anxiety as well, um, which I don't notice for a while because I think I'm just being a perfectionist. Mm. So I'll start to notice the anxiety spikes are happening. Yeah. I'll react really differently to people. Um, I get very, it's not just being task focused. It's another level. You can, I can feel it yeah. already. And I haven't actually had it for such a long time. I had to remember that. It's actually been a, over a year since I last had any real spike on it. And is um, that because there are certain things that you do day to day, week to week? So you mentioned getting up at 6 a.m. or something this morning. Let's, let's, to, not, let's to, not take to, that as a standard it, thing that I do. Right. <laughs> but is, is, that, is that part of it for you? Do, do you have a sense of these are the things that if I do regularly, it will keep me away from that burnout? Yeah. Trip? It's. Um, I think it's, I'm trying to think of it now because it's so ingrained in my life. I can't even think of how to describe it. It's just very much a listening mm. to myself and whatever that might look like. So one of them was I knew I need to have a base and that's why I bought my place in London. It was very, very strong. Uh, another one is um, I need to have good people around me. So because I'm someone who is very sort of A-type personality, task-focused, I know that if I don't schedule in time with people, then it won't happen. Right. So I make a real point of making sure I have something to look forward to coming up. Not saying I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, but it has to be something different. And I think we can get into this cycle as people who love what we do, where we use this idea of loving what we do to develop a very difficult relationship with it. You know, I knew people who'd say things like, well, my downtime is listening to business podcasts. <laughs> right. Nothing wrong yeah. with a business podcast, just a heads up on that. Uh, it's not your downtime. Yeah. That is you telling yourself you're allowed to do that. You can actually do something else. Um, do you know how I know yeah. when I'm actually on holiday is where the Kindle switches from being business books to being fiction and that fiction thing is, for me, it's like, it often takes three or four days, but it's the moment where I go, huh, We're I can done. relax. Actually, we talk about phones. That's yeah. my big thing, because mm. I'm definitely, I love my social media. I'm yeah. very much on that. Do you know a really weird thing really. is that um, I don't know if I've ever done one of these conversations where someone doesn't bring up the idea of phones and switching off. Like, it just feels to me such a core theme running through all of this so yeah it, we're really connected exactly i think yeah. that's a big one is for me is looking at how if anyone tracked my downloads of facebook instagram and twitter from the app store <laughs> i probably have the highest number of downloads because so i delete delete them once yeah. Yeah, continually Re-install. it's a continual loop is that it, daily or um, <laughs> it has been it has been in the past right now got all three on yeah. i think I, I posted something last night by tonight i'm pretty sure they'll be gone but it actually, it actually works because it's me going yeah Right now, I don't want that on mm. because I'm finding myself in a cycle. I mean, there's no easy answer to this, but I think the 
the bigger answer for me would be probably two part. One of them in terms of adrenal spikes and and all that stuff would be to say, what, how is it that I'm feeling when I'm actually feeling really solid and really good? But the second part is ask myself, do I have a belief that being in that sort of solid good state doesn't is not the same as creating my best work? Because I think that is where a lot of us get tripped up. So we, I used to listen to things on things like burn, breakdown, burnout and all that and be like, yeah, but in order to create my best work, I have to be hyped up. I have to be in this big state. Okay, right. Does that mean, mm. I don't know if you've ever had that, but for me it was like when I was in launch mode, everyone around me knew what, what launch mode looked like and it was not pretty. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, okay. not, not a good time. Like you didn't talk to me, I didn't talk to other people, unless you're on my team, in which case it would be a very sort of short conversation. And I, I think, feel like yeah. I have this when I'm doing talks, but I don't think I, don't think I have that well, this in is the good. office. <laughs> but yeah. Well, maybe it, I, my team will tell me different. I don't know. But On the other hand, I don't, it was, is your business structured so that you had spikes of activity? Because this is how my business was pre-membership. It was spikes of like all the income would come at one point, then another point, then yeah, another maybe, point. Yes, but maybe less so. So we okay. have certain months. In, everyone wants training in October, November. No one's that interested in August. You know, we have those kind of spikes, I guess. But I think launches have a certain yeah, energy. If you're you, on product launch yeah, cycle, you probably have more of that with yeah your because you also get the launches. payoff. Um, like you know, in terms of social media, when you get the um, it's the whole addiction to the dings. Yeah, like how many yeah. notifications I've got. Imagine when it's on sales. So yeah. I'm getting hundreds of sales in a day. That adrenal spike, it's addictive. Mm. And to know that you can send another email and do it again, you can't. I'd come <laughs> off a ride, off a high. And I'd be like, where's the next one? I'd have to launch something yeah. else to keep the high going. So any online people, this is actually a thing. Mm. It's not sustainable. It's why I just like, I'm, I don't do it anymore. Like my next product, if I launch one, I'm going to be releasing it to friends and people who are connected with me on Facebook first right. to have a gentle intake. And then from that point up level and up level, because I'm like, I'm not, it's not worth it. Mm. so it's just it's just being aware of it but be, uh, holding that idea of you, sometimes we need to be in a slightly different state to do our best work but just because historically we have done it in a very heightened way does all of that need to be there and also is it real is it just correlated with your success or does it cause your success and I challenge it um, for me so like the answer not, might not be as pretty as I'd like it to be so for me I know that writing for example Anyone who knows me knows that when I'm deep in writing, I, I don't even know if you're talking to me. If you yeah, talk to me, I'll just yeah. like look at you and just take a wild. And that, that's great. That's I how I write. That. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sure it's, yeah, similar law of writers. That's not going to change. I'm not going to sit there and be all zen about my writing and be all like, oh, I will totally pay attention to you. That's not happening. But that's only one thing. But if you then piled in, well, in order to write, you have to do all these other things, you might find your life, mm. is it all necessary? That's the thing I'd ask. But there's also, so coming back to the, the heightened state thing and around your launches and stuff. So I think there's, there's also a thing there, which is it's very easy when the adrenaline is pumping to start feeling like, okay, I'm doing my best work because we're on this deadline. Yes. But actually what the deadline, most deadlines, what they really do is they say, this is the only and most important thing that I could be doing in the world right now. So a deadline allows you to make choices about everything else. So you screen out doing the emails you maybe look at your phone a bit less you maybe even talk to your friends a bit less yeah, and all that definitely. sort of stuff but it clears the decks to say yeah. this is the most important thing and i think often it's the 
for me, the, the, the creation of that environment to clear the decks and focus on something is really what's driving productivity there, not, not the adrenaline spike in that way. Like that's I, think adre- I, exactly. I think that's really, I've never thought of it that way. You're right. Mm. I, think, I think that's a real good point. I think adrenaline spikes are great, actually, and I'm not against them. Just I'm against them as an addiction, yeah, not right. as a I thing. Mean, yeah. And they can be really helpful. Um, but yeah, I think most, a lot of us are addicted to them and that's the difference. It's a bit like coffee, isn't it? You know, you have a bit of adrenaline. It's good. If yeah. You, if you have eight a day. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, probably that's good. Um, I think I've covered everything that was on my list to talk to you oh, about. Um, brilliant. I, I've, I've loved chatting. I kind of feel like there's uh, just a lot of parallels in, um, in our work and, uh, you know, and, and we kind of think about things in, in some very interesting synergistic ways I guess my so my I suppose my final question would be uh I'm on this sabbatical which is notionally about a month away from the end really so I'm I'm so I'm I'm doing some work next week and then I've got July and August and then I'm back in September do you have any thoughts for me having been through sabbatical because full disclosure I feel a little bit like I'm supposed to have answers to what I do with my life because I've been on sabbatical and I don't feel I have them yet so maybe you've got not necessarily the answer, because that would be a lot of pressure, but maybe you've got a question, something I should think about for me over the next couple of months. Mm, wow. That's really putting you on the spot, isn't that it? That is. Uh, <laughs> I think, okay, so if, if like a client asked me that, the first thing that I would ask them is, what, what is it that you actually were trying to get out of the sabbatical mm. to start with? Um, I think you need, it's an individual question. I'd really need to know what is it you're trying to get out of this as a beginning point. Yeah. Um, and the second thing I'd look at is, is there something really obvious that you're missing? Ooh, I think that's the biggest one. thing is we miss the most obvious answer. I don't know what you were asking, mm. but it's probably staring at you. <laughs> like, that's interesting. I'm going to reflect on that. And maybe, because I'm going to put this one out on Thursday this week, maybe I'll give myself the uh, uh, opportunity to, in my post-amble after our conversation, I'll... Maybe talk a bit more about my answers then. How about that? I could do a whole podcast just on your sabbatical. Absolutely. That would be amazing. Um, and finally, how can people find you and uh, just give the kind of uh, point them in the direction of you in the yep. world on the internet? Uh, MarianneCantwell.com is where I'm hanging out these days. Uh, you can stalk me on Instagram at FreeRangeMarianne or tweet me at FreeRangeHumans. Cool. And we better go and give this room back, eh? Yes. <laughs> Marianne, it's been great. Thanks very much. Okay, so that's the end of my conversation with Marianne. Thanks again, Marianne, for taking the time. And thanks also, while I'm on the gratitude uh, moments, to to thank Mark Stedman from Bloomsbury Digital for producing the show and also to thank the team at Think Productive for two reasons. So thanks to the team at Think Productive for sharing Beyond Busy with the world. But also, since we're on the subject of my sabbatical, just thanks to the team at Think Productive for giving me the time and space and being very respectful and often stepping up to the plate or taking on extra bits of responsibility to enable me to do this practical. Like I'm so aware of what an absolute like privilege it is. And uh, there's a lot of people I need to be very thankful for in that. So you guys know who you are. So just if you're one of those people listening right now, uh, just a big, big thank you. 
And let's talk about these questions from Marianne then. So I actually just recorded the post-amble bit and it came to eight minutes and I hadn't finished. And I just was starting to think, oh my God, is this so is this so indulgent? So I really hope that this is a useful thing for you. And if you start to feel like this is indulgent, just switch it off. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode of Beyond Mythic. Uh, but yeah, let me talk very briefly about Marianne's two questions there. So what was I trying to get from the sabbatical? Uh, I've got three answers to that. Uh, and I think in order of importance, I'll do them this way. So the most important for me was rest. I had a really tricky 2016, um, went through a breakup uh, with a young child, with my young child being diagnosed with autism and various other things going on as well. So it was just a difficult time on the personal front. And then, yeah, and I, and then towards the end of the year, I, I did a lot of travel in 2016 in general, but I did a big trip towards the end of 2016 where I really started to feel like I was just running on empty. Uh, I was working really hard doing a lot of talks and, and various things in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, it was about a five-week trip. And by the end of that, I mean, by the time I got back on the plane to come home, I could not have been happier to be going back to my own bed. It just felt like I was just running on empty completely. I had a non-being exhausted related health scare around that same time as well, which just really got me thinking about my health again. Uh, it was all totally fine and I won't bore you with the details, but it was quite a stressful thing. So it left me really looking forward to a few weeks of just being in bed, to be honest, and just Netflix and bed and sleep and yeah, just being very, uh, just being in recovery mode and being very aware of self-care and all that sort of thing. So rest was the first one. Second one was to break the cycle of founder syndrome, as I saw it. So I, I think entrepreneurs think of their businesses as a sort of living and breathing entity or thing or person or something. And I felt like my, so not to do with individual relationships, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but I felt like my relationship with Think Productive as a thing had got a little bit unhealthy or even destructive. I felt like I was being asked my opinion on stuff where very talented people should probably just get on with doing their thing. And I'm very aware that they want to ask me my opinion and, you know, I'm uh, often uh, nagging them with my opinion. So just getting that balance right between when to step out of the way and let talented people do their thing versus when am I actually useful? When do I add value? When, when am I actually the sort of guardian of the brand or someone who has something different to, uh, you know, a little spark of something that brings something else to the table? So that was a difficult one. It's, you know, I felt like that, that for a couple of years, to be honest, but I think particularly in the last year, uh, 20 and 2016, it felt like I needed to just break that cycle and have me just not around at all for a while and let let the thing breathe without me. And I think that's been successful because I've not really been involved. So that's been good. Um, the one that I, you know, the third of three was finding the space and time to think about what next. And I think this maybe leads me on because I don't really think I've done that enough during this sabbatical but what it leads me on to is Marianne's other question which is is there something really obvious that I'm missing and I think the really obvious thing for me is starting to come to terms with the fact that my life now is I, I have 50-50 childcare with my son so I'm a part-time single parent and being a single parent and then doing five-week trips around Australia and New Zealand uh, for work are not that uh, compatible or you know one is not too conducive to the other so 
that's been something perhaps I was aware of, but it's really helped me to uh, to really define my own identity as a part-time single parent or co-parent or whatever. Uh, there's no words, right? The words are really rubbish for this stuff. A co-parent or part-time single parent, whatever. Um, but really starting to then think, okay, so how do I get my work out there? That probably needs to be more online than face-to-face. And, you know, starting to just think about how I can gear my work to be more uh sort of based around the kind of lifestyle that I need to have now because don't get me wrong I love the travel I mean that's been a big uh big highlight for me over the last few years is being around the world all the time and and uh you know meeting people and and taking our work to different places it's the it's the stuff that really gets my adrenaline flowing and that I really love but there probably is just a massive truth sitting there that says for the next two or three years at least that's something that is not on the cards or I then need to start thinking about do I have other options for childcare which I think probably when he's a bit older I'll be much happier with but I think for now uh, probably the obvious thing is to 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 pull back on trying to uh, or just resist the temptation from throwing myself into work in such uh, vigorous fashion as I perhaps previously imagined I would and just gearing my my work around uh, being a parent and that kind of lifestyle as well so I think that's probably the obvious thing and that's probably all I'll say on those for now obviously a big part of doing this podcast and exploring what does it mean to get beyond the notion of busy to be not busy for a while and also to you know to start exploring this in terms of how I would approach a book on this same topic Um, You know, I've talked about that before and I think it's just, you know, I think what's interesting about this podcast is it becomes a sort of documentation of my learning process and starting to get my head around these topics of work-life balance and happiness and success and how do we make sense of the work that we do and, and the productivity that we have within that. So I hope that's useful. Like, yeah, I mean, I've managed to do that slightly shorter than my amble was a minute ago. I still slightly feel like it's a bit indulgent. So forgive me if that felt a bit indulgent. Um, And yeah, I really do sincerely hope that it was more than that. And it was, you got something useful just from hearing me reflect on, on those things. Um, I'm just really aware that it's um, yeah, it's, it's not every day or every year that you get to really invest that time and have the space to think about what you want to do. And so uh, yeah, I just feel totally grateful to be honest for being able to do all of that. Um, So getting ready for the big week next week with Think Productive and we're going to be back in two weeks time with another podcast guest here on Beyond Busy. If you've not subscribed or checked out the website, it's getbeyondbusy.com and from there you can find show notes with links to all the stuff we've just been talking about and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Come and say hi on Twitter and I'll see you in two weeks time. Until then, bye for now.